God, as, as we were singing that, I feel this confession in me. That a lot of times I know I'm weak. And I don't want people to see you right there. I want people to see me as strong. Way too often I'm scared. But I don't want them to see you comforting me. I was praying and a table appeared. Thank you, whoever brought that to me. I was using it before I knew it was here. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I, I grew up in the church. I was a couple weeks old, brought to church. Might have been grow, I might have grew up in a different church than, than you, but I grew up in the church. We were, were regular attenders, whatever that meant at different stages of our life. And, and yet worship has changed its meaning over, over the years. And my understanding of this has changed, and a lot of that uh, is due to being with you. And so thank you. Uh, in five weeks, we walk into our new home. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. For two of those weeks before then, we're going to practice being us. We're going to worship and, and work side by side one week. We're going to worship and get to know the community around 1212 and invite them to become a part of us. We're not just serving them as if we're two different peoples. We're, we're saying, hey, be with us and let's become one people. That's the story of our church but then that leaves us three weeks, this week, next week, and the week after, to do some like before we go kind of talking. And this is some family talk from one of your pastors to you on one of the things that I believe deeply that we need to begin understanding and begin living out. And to be honest with you, I don't think we're living this out, what we're talking about today. I, d I don't think, but I don't think it's because we're mean. I don't think it's because we're... Uh, just being um, like divisive or we're being defiant or anything like that. I just don't think we know. 
And so my prayer today is that we look at the early church, we look at their example, and we learn from them. And then whatever it is that God has for us, that we say, okay, uh, I'll have that. I'll take that into my life, please. So I want to ask you a favor. Sometimes I give you homework. I'm going to give you homework for this week. And here's what it is. Please, please, please read through Acts 10 through 15. You can read through it alone. It's always better to read through it with somebody. It doesn't mean you have to read side by side, but process with somebody. If you need someone to process with, talk to me after the service. We can meet. If enough of us want to, like, let's meet Tuesday night or something. And let's sit down and, and talk about these verses together. Let's look at this in depth together. Uh, there's so much in this chunk. I could talk about Acts 10 for like six months, and we're not even going to talk about it today. But that, that sets up Acts 15, and we're going to sit in Acts 15 for a little bit. So please do your homework. It probably should have been pre-homework, but everybody knows nobody does the pre-homework for anything. So we're going to start in the very end of Acts 14, and we're going to read through parts of Acts, Acts 15 today. Uh, we're going to really get into a couple things, try to picture this setting And then we're going to see what God has for us to learn from it, okay? So we're venturing a little bit different. Right now we're picking up with Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is, just for the record, he might be, outside of Jesus, he might be my favorite character in Scripture. He might be my favorite person. This guy's phenomenal. Always on the side of people. But in verse 27, it picks up those two. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And, he had, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. ESV Luke is very funny to me. No little time. Verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, which is another way of saying a lot of dissension, And debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6 says, The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. All right, let me try to make this make a little bit of sense. Because we always read everything on the side of the victor, right? And so whoever is opposing is the bad guy. Whoever's winning is me. And that's kind of how we read it. So let's make this make sense. Paul and Barnabas are going city to city, church to church. Sharing the good news since Acts 10 with Gentiles. You ever think of that word? Nobody has ever called themselves a Gentile. That's an othering word. You know othering words, right? Like Gentile is a Jewish word. 
It means not me. The Jews are the Jews, and everybody else is a Gentile. They probably called themselves like Romans or Frank, whatever their name was. And walk around saying like, oh, hi, I'm Matt the other. Nobody did that. But we read a, a, a Jewish book where the term is Gentile. Pretty derogatory term. They believe that they're the chosen people. And we know that in the Old Testament, God shows they are the chosen people. But their limited understanding of it is they are the only. And so then it becomes the Gentile are all the others. So Paul and Barnabas are going into all of these cities, announcing the good news to the others. Announcing the good news to the people that historically it has never belonged to. The good news belonged to the Jewish people. And all of a sudden, in the last five chapters, which, you know, it might take us 20 minutes to read, but it took longer than 20 minutes to live. In the last five chapters, all of a sudden the Gentiles, the others, are invited into this story. Paul and Barnabas are going around telling of what Jesus has done, telling of this new life, and a debate breaks out where Jewish leaders and Jewish scholars are like, hey, listen, Christianity was born of Judaism. It was born out of that. The door to Jesus is through Judaism. And so if, if somebody who is an other, who has always been an other, wants to be in with Jesus, you have to go through the door of Judaism. That's what they're saying. Saying you have to become a Jew to be, become a follower of Jesus because that's the door he came. He was a Jew. We have to go this way. And it's not just because it's the door to through Judaism, but it's also like, hey, there's a lot of stuff that's happened between all the others and us. There's a lot. And if we're just going to say, like, no big deal, like, I've got a problem with that. And so you, we read circumcision, and then we kind of freak out and skim past it. What they're really saying is, like, no, you need to become Jewish. And then once you're Jewish, you can follow Jesus. And that's what this that's what this is about. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, that, that's not what it's about. So they go to Jerusalem. This isn't like they catch a red eye. They walk. And this is a bit of like a rally that happens in Jerusalem. So they walk town to town and they tell, it says right here, Luke records, they tell the story of the Gentiles and they gain support. And you know what happens? More people walk with them. People who are Jewish heritage People who are Gentile heritage are walking with Paul and Barnabas. You know who else is walking? The Pharisees who disagree with them. They're all walking. And they go have a civil conversation. They make decisions without like calling each other names. It can't happen. And, and they go and do that. But they're all walking, building support as they go. So they get to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, a bunch of people who do not live in Jerusalem, but are very vested in what is going on and what decision the church in Jerusalem makes, all of a sudden, all these people are there. Jews and Gentiles. Pharisees and people who believe the door is wide open. They're all there. And they're all there because of this question of assimilation. What do they have to do 
that we had to do. That's what it is. This guy right here says he wants to believe in Jesus, but he wasn't born Jewish. I had to do all of these things before I believed in Jesus. Shouldn't he have to do all that too? That's what this question is. Now we think like, well, we wouldn't do that. Yeah, we do this like in every area of our life. So I remember my, my dad, and I do this kind of stuff. Like, Jackson, sorry, I know I do this kind of stuff. But my da- I remember my dad doing it. I don't remember me doing it. But my dad loved having his mow- yard mowed a certain way. Do you all have people who are like that? Don, I think you're probably like this. He loved having his lawn mowed a certain way. The lines had to be there. And the lines had to be in the right place. And the trimmer, my goodness, this trimmer my dad had, you needed like six PhDs to work this trimmer correctly. But me at 13 better know how. My dad also worked on the East Coast, so he was gone six days a week. And I got to go to a baseball park. And baseball parks carved things in their grass. I don't know if you ever, nobody watches baseball anymore. But believe me, it's true. I could show you a photo. They carve like logos in the grass, and it looks all awesome. And I think I'm an artist. So I go in the backyard, and I learn to even set the mower at different levels. Because that's the easier way to get it to look different, is you scorch some of it, and you leave the rest of it real tall. So I start carving faces in my dad's yard. Because it looks awesome to a 13-year-old. My dad came back home, nearly took my birthday away. (laughs) Oh, was he hot. It was one of those moments where I was near grown, but he still could pick me up by my belt loop, you know? Like, that's not how we do it, son. And like, this is the new way. I thought I was like, that's not how we do it. That's not how we do it. We go this way. I started mowing this way. That's not how we do it either. We do it this way. My dad taught me to mow this way, so we mow this way. We do this with, with cooking. No, you don't put the ingredients in that way. You put them in this way. There's really no difference. Jamel tells a story, I don't even think it's his story, of somebody putting a pot roast in a pan, cutting off both ends. And they say, why did you do that? Because the pan didn't fit the whole pot roast. We have to cut off the end so it fits in the pan, not because there's anything to cutting off the end. Maybe that is your story, or it's a preacher story. I'm giving him credit. Now you have a story. But we have all of these things that we think, this is the way that I was taught. I need, you need to learn the exact same way. You need to go through what I went through. Some of it is for bad reasons. I want you to hurt how I hurt. Most of it is like for like, so we have something in common. Most of it is like, hey, so we speak the same language. Let me, let me give you what I have. But it's also so we can trust one another. You've been through what I've been through, so all of a sudden I trust you. Churches today do the same thing, right? What expressions of worship count? What things are meaningful and what things are not meaningful? What is needed in a worship service or in a believer and what is not needed? I've heard these questions asked right here. And part of what we're wondering is, is my expression of worship validated? 
Can I do this here? Does this count? So things even like this. I was baptized as a baby and then went through confirmation. Anybody else do confirmation? Anybody? You're not northern. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Confirmation was this like three-year class where twice a week you sit down and pretend you're paying attention. And it was, like for me, it was really meaningful. For most of my classmates, it was not. But for, I took it real serious. And I got to go before the church and say, I believe in what my parents hoped for me at baptism. I now believe that and declare that as my own. I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And this class was extremely meaningful for me. And I know you go into some churches, and the question is, can you be a believer without confirmation? Then other churches are, well, can you be a believer without being baptized as an adult? If you were as a baby, then be rebaptized or be baptized into our church in our way. There are all of these different things. There's very different expressions. One of the things that's come up here is how many days a week does the church meet? I went to church twice a week. Some people call me a slacker. Other churches met four or five times a week. How many days is it for someone to really be discipled? How often do we have to be together? How often even on a Sunday? I was just talking to somebody, and they said they have a break from 1 to 3 today from church. I was like, whew, are you the pastor? No, they just go there. I'm like, okay, I think our church would, like, do the first half. (laughs) They were like, I got stuff to do, sorry. But this is all stuff that we do, and... Some of it ends up being silly, but the reason that we have it is what what does it take? What do we need to be assured that people are following Jesus and that there are people that we can run next to? This is what the debate was. Paul and Barnabas are running around talking to all these others. They're saying, you can have Jesus too, and people are going, no, I I don't know. They they live different. I I don't know if I can worship next to them. I don't know if I can trust Jesus within them. I've got some real questions. Shouldn't they at least follow Jesus or follow the rules of Judaism first and then come to Jesus? I get that. I always villainize the Pharisees, but I get that. That makes some sense that they want some security that this other person that they don't know how to relate to yet is at least having a shared experience. So the church gathers in in verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, by making no distinction between us and them. Having cleansed their heart by faith, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? And then get this, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Here's what he's saying. You know that this is the power of testimony. Like, we forget the power of testimony. We have, Scripture is how God speaks, but God also speaks through your life. And sometimes we forget to even look at Scripture. 
But other times we elevate scripture and silence what the Holy Spirit is doing in somebody's life. Here, Peter's saying, you know my story. I was at the man Cornelius' house. And the Holy Spirit moved on them. How can I deny what God did in their lives? And he says, why would we throw this yoke of all of the rules and laws and rituals onto other people knowing that our dad couldn't fulfill it and we couldn't fulfill it? This is a good question for us. Why in the world would I ask somebody else to do something that I can't do? Why would I require it of them and say that you are not a faithful follower of Jesus if I can't do it? It's like, that's cruelty. Why would we go against God and do that? And then in verse 11, look at how Peter's heart has changed. He said, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just like they will. Like, the, almost like the second ones are, are, are the Jews here. Like, we know they will. He knows in his heart because he saw it. These Gentiles are saved by faith, nothing else. They don't have circumcision and everything else to pretend that they're okay from. And we're going to be saved by that same grace. We're going to be saved by that same grace. Peter here saying there's no ritual distinctiveness needed. God saves. Jews and Gentiles, all saved. By grace. There's not a right prayer to pray. There, there's not a steps of the order that it has to be done. There's not all of this ritualistic stuff. No, he says we have had this giant barrier between ourselves and God's and between Gentiles and God for centuries. This giant barrier of this yoke that nobody can carry, and we can move that barrier out of the way because the Holy Spirit did. He said that barrier is not there anymore. Jesus came, so it's not there. You have free access to God the Father. That's what he's saying right here. He's coming to the gathering, the, the, the gathering of the church, capital C Church. They're all together and they're agreeing. Praise God. And he's at this gathering saying there is no barrier between you and God. There is no barrier between the Gentiles and God. Keep in mind the Gentiles are here. They're not talking, but they're here. They're in the room. He's saying this barrier that we always thought was here is removed. It's gone. So why would we put the barrier there ourselves again? If God removed it, let's let it stay removed. Then James speaks for the church. It's as if Peter speaks from the floor and says, here's my experience. And James speaks for the church. It says in verse 12, all the assembly fell silent and they believed, or they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. He stands for the church. It says, you know what? That testimony of Peter, we find that same testimony in Scripture. And as a church, we will not put that barrier between people and their God. That is a beautiful story right out of Acts 15. The church agrees with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says that that is not there. And the church says, okay, if that barrier is not there, we will not put it there. 
We won't make one up. If you've given people free access to the Father, then we're not going to blur the lines. We're not going to get in the way and tell them that they have to jump. If God doesn't put it, neither should man. But then there's the community, right? We've got no barrier between us and God, but still, like, we've got to live next to one another. And all of a sudden, this gathering in Jerusalem, all of the Gentiles, all of the others feel affirmed that, that their story, their testimony is recognized, that the leader of the church says, yeah, that experience that they're having is real. That's the Holy Spirit at work. And then there's, but we got to hang out together. And how are we going to do that? Because the Gentile life offends the Jewish life. Most likely, the Jewish life offends the Gentile life. But that's not really recorded. And so James, he speaks to that. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual morality, from what has been strangled and from the blood. Here's what he's saying. This really, we need to know, this is not a, a morality conversation here in 19 and 20. The church is not afraid of having moral conversations. The church in Acts has moral conversations. This kind of thing happens throughout scripture. But this is about ceremonially unclean things. This is about the people you come near and if they make you unclean or not. So what, what he says is sexual immorality will make people unclean. Let's not do that. The, the three food laws, we can't eat what is strangled, we cannot eat what still has blood in it, and don't eat meat that was offered to idols. If you don't do that thi- those things, then like you're not unclean to the Jews, and, and the Jews can be near you, and everything else that's different about you all, figure it out around the table. Figure it out. What, what James says here is that this is a conversation about like not tripping each other up. And if it's going to trip up your brother or your sister, then yield to the community. And say, I'm not going to be about that. And, and this unclean thing, they, they keep working through it. Acts 10, the big thing that Peter has is that God says, don't call anything unclean or common that I've made, that I've made clean. But here the church steps in and says, okay, like for community's sake, let's not trip each other up. Let's not trip each other up. These boundaries between people, they're removed. Let's not give this giant law. They don't have to memorize all these kind of things. They don't have to go get circumstances. No, just the things that are obviously going to trip each other up, don't do it. Let's start to do community together. Now, there's a few things weird about this, and then we're going to look for us. Here's what's weird. It's a little bit of an aside, but I think it's weird. And I think it's some people's fear right now. This conversation all happens with Gentiles in the room. Gentiles are in the room, and not one Gentile voice is recorded. Not one is recorded. Maybe they spoke. We don't know. We don't, you know, we just don't know. But we do know that they're not recorded. And this is supposed to be like the conference about the elevation of the position of the Gentile, and yet we don't hear from the Gentile. We don't hear from the perspective. We don't hear from the outlook. We don't hear from the experience. I would love to hear Cornelius' version of Acts 10. 
What was it like when you courageously reached out to the Jewish man and said, come to my house? Well, we don't have that one. And I think that matters. And when we get to a church like ours that's trying to live into the realities of Acts 15, we need to pay attention that the, the, this conference in Jerusalem failed the Gentiles in some way. They theoretically removed every obstacle that was in the way. Theoretically. But there's nothing about actual communion. There's nothing. Every theoretical obstacle was removed by the people of power. But there's never the voice of the other, the Gentile, that's ever heard. There's never a recording of the actual, like, gathering here. I think that matters. We as a church won't do this. I realize that almost in every single way, I represent the majority. It's an awkward spot some Sundays, I'll be honest. If you look around, there aren't a million white men who want to come to this church. The biggest reason is we feel guilty. We don't know how to do that. There aren't a million of anybody who wants to come to this church. But speaking for white men for a minute. Because there's a lot of emotion on this. And we represent a lot of things that we wish we could fix. And we represent a lot of pain a lot of times. And I want to tell you as one of the many who, who love you, if that is not you in this room, we want to hear your voice. At one church will hear your voice. And if you feel like you have ever been othered, this is your place. And whether that voice is said through a microphone or through a piece of art or a piece of writing or pushing a broom or giving a hug, however your voice is heard, my prayer is that this is a place where your voice is heard. That's what needs to happen here. You see, at the end of Acts 15, we end up with two groups of people and no barrier between them. But that is a beginning, a beautiful beginning to a story that is a horrible end to a conference. The conference adjourns. We did it, guys. <laughs> no, you didn't. You just started. Here's the problem. So far at one church, I believe that's what we celebrate. So far, I think what we're celebrating is that there is no barrier between people and God, and there is no barrier between people and people. Here's my problem. That's a horrible goal. If we're just celebrating the lack of barriers, there might as well be barriers. Here's what I mean. Uh, depending on your chair, there are plenty of two groups in here. There's black and white majority. I mean, we... we Korean and Guatemalan, a couple of but majority, black and white. <laughs> Male, female, married, single, young, old, gay, straight. We have like different others, right? And part of why we come here is because it's a space where someone who is often other is the same as you. But here's what happens and here's what I've noticed. We found comfort in the truth that this church is humbly trying hard to have no barriers between us. We found comfort in that, and then we've stopped. And we look around during worship, and we say, look at this. It's a diverse room worshiping. And I miss worship. Yeah. 
I get texts about, I love that we have dinner for seven from people who don't attend dinner for seven. I love that I can go to a small group, and that small group can be filled with people I would never meet anywhere else. What small group do you go to? Oh, no, no, I don't go to one. I love that I can go to one. I love that it is possible for me to worship next to people who are different than me. I'll tell you what, if it is only possible for you to worship next to people who are different than you, then don't bother coming. Because it's a horrible end goal. We have worked way too hard as a church to get to this point where we're starting to believe there are no barriers. We have worked way too hard to stop and be like, ha, we made it. We haven't made it anywhere. Let's celebrate that there aren't barriers by communing with the one true God. That's the only way to celebrate this thing. Let's celebrate by being at one another's table, being at that small group, rolling up our sleeves next to one another, learning the stories of the other person. If you are somebody who has chronically othered everyone else, listen to their voice. Gather their story. That's what this is. This is not some theoretical exercise. We are giving our lives to this, guys. I don't want to look back on this experiment that is one church and say, that was potentially awesome. I don't want to do that. So far, just the exercise of moving the barriers has changed my life. Now, what if we actually worshipped? Not like six of us worshipped and the rest of us feeling good that there's like expressions of worship around us. I'm saying, like, what if we actually worshiped? And that doesn't mean we all do the same thing. Because if we have to do the same thing, we've assimilated and lost the entire message of Acts 15. You know what worship looks like when I worship? It looks like this. That's me really worshiping. I'm not even lying. George can't be that still listening to a sermon. The more I worship, the less I move. But I will be more me in this room. Because you don't need me to be another George. You need me to be me. And you need me to love George. And for us to worship next to each other. That's what this is. That's what this is. We've got to stop. And here's what I mean we've got to stop doing. We've got to stop and being excited that people are worshiping around us and connecting with God around it. And we have to say, Lord, what is it for me? What do you have for me? What do you have for my friend? What do you have for my family? If, If you love them so much that they can't sleep but they dance, what do you have for me? And if you're moving in lives and you're healing in other people's lives, what about me? And what about my house? And what about those that I love? And then, and then when it comes to time together, what if it's more than just a hug and a handshake and some hand sanitizer? (laughs) Don't pretend you don't go to your chair and grab hand sanitizer. I see half of you. I'm in the front row just impressed that we're worshiping like there's no boundaries. Come on. What if we had actual communion? What if we said, I am uncomfortable in these small groups, so that must mean I'm supposed to be there. I don't, you know, my schedule is packed, but a dinner for seven might change my life because I might hear somebody's story. What if we kept doing more of that and celebrating being in one another's 
lives. There's been a great fear in this church, and I, I think fear is the word, that at some point we're going to ask everyone to assimilate to one culture. We're going to ask everyone to assimilate white. We're going to ask everyone to assimilate black. There's been a, I've even heard it the last couple weeks. As if there's some great reveal. We're going to go like two and a half years and then be like, ta-da! Just before we get into 1212. Now we have to worship this way. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen because I don't see it in scripture. We will all assimilate to be more like Jesus. Every time I hear about the church Jamel grew up in, I love it because it's so different than mine. And I gain things from his experience. Why would I want him to pretend that wasn't his? Why would I want to force mine upon him? There's parts of my experience that are beautiful, where God met me in ways that are unique. Why would I want to leave that behind? There's not a person in this room that we want you to leave your, your experience of God behind at the door so you can come in and pick up somebody else's. Don't do that. What God has done in your story is beautiful. Instead, put that in a microphone. Put that on a piece of art. Allow that to be what you live out. Let me say this. Here at One Church, we're not going to settle for barriers being removed. We'll do the hard work to continue removing them. I know that there's some of you in this room that are like, hey, there's there's barriers we don't talk about. One of the barriers I felt real strongly lately is that there are way too many people who physically are feeling the manifestations of mental illness, anxiety, depression, things like that. There's a stigma and a barrier in the church around that. Just like we've gotten shovels to move the barriers of race, sexuality, and gender, we'll we'll get shovels and remove that barrier too. But the goal isn't just to remove it for the sake of removal. We will remove barriers for the sake of communion, for the sake of you, maybe for the first time in your life or for the first time in your actual identity, coming into who Jesus is and communing with Jesus, praying with somebody, whether they're like or different or whatever, and just saying, Lord, like, thank you that you would have me. And then going to a table as yourself. As who God made you to be. And go and meet the collection of saints that call one church home. And let's as a church settle for nothing less. If we go as these people, 1212, we will see God's kingdom come. And his will be done in profound and powerful ways. So as as I close, it looks like they're doing something behind me. A um, couple things. Some of us have celebrated the barriers of community being removed and we haven't taken any steps towards community. Here's what I want to ask us all to do. There's five teams for us to do in the next five weeks. I want to ask you to really pray about it, commit to one of these teams, and be part of it. I'm not saying for the rest of your life, I'm not saying, but maybe like this is a first step. And when you're serving on that team, don't just do it with your headphones in, ignoring all stories. Like, get to know somebody. Hear somebody's story. This is where the church is founded and grown. 
You know, one of the things Jamel didn't say is we could have been in the building in like a week and a half. We could have. Physically, the building could be ready. Our hearts can't. We have some more work to do. That's not a shaming sentence at all. That's just a we've got some preparation to do. We've got some expectation to grow and be birthed within us. So I want to ask each of you, sign up. There's sign-ups in the lobby. Uh, Team leads are there. We're going to need a whole bunch of volunteers, a whole bunch of people loving on people in the weekends to come when we move. It's going to take a lot of convincing from a church to tell the people at Fourth and Oak that we actually want them to come in as is. They've got a lot of barriers between them and Jesus. Let's, Let's get our shovels and dig them out. But there's one that might even be more important right now, and that some of us have come to this church and we've spectated and we've learned a lot and we've even been changed but we've done it from the bleachers a little bit and I want to invite you in this moment to step towards Jesus this is not because Matt said it this is because scripture said there is nothing between you and your God and so as we worship maybe for the first time at one church worship few people at the sides who would love to pray with you. Maybe this week, we say it every week, but maybe this week you're like, okay, I'm finally, I'm, I'm praying with somebody. I need this. But don't miss what God has for you. 